Well, hey, Mosaic. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see your faces. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Uh, So excited that you're here today. So a moment that passed that you missed. How many of you would say and admit, like, I should have done something about this, but I did nothing? Some of us. Some of us are honest, at least. I remember one of my most shameful moments, uh, because I'm up here and I get to just, uh, this is my counseling session, right? So I can get counseling from you guys. But one of my most shameful moments was about 10 years ago. So I'm walking down this street, and it's just, it's me, and then there's this old man walking really slowly, probably like half a block ahead of me. And so I'm walking, I had this meeting to get to, like I had a lot of things to do. And so I'm going up, and I'm about to turn left onto a separate road, and he's up ahead of that street. And so he's a little bit further ahead. And as I'm, as I'm turning to go to my meeting, I kind of glance over, and as I glance over, the old man, he's, he's really slow, right? And so he's trying to, he's crossing the street, and he's trying to get up on the curb, And so he like puts his foot up there and he slips and just crumbles into the sidewalk. So what did I do? Nothing. I literally just like, I walked away. I could see all the judgment in your eyes right now, by the way. (laughs) Like, don't judge me. Okay. You're like, this guy's about to speak to us for a half hour. I'm not listening to this guy. Right. I did though, like, but I justified it because my justification was someone else will help him. Because it wasn't, it was a fairly busy street. Yeah, we were the only ones. But like people are always driving and walking down this road, right? <laughs> but don't we do that? Like we justify these things all the time. We probably justify these things every single day of our life. And in our brain we think someone else will take care of it. Someone else will help. And I wonder that if in that moment that we say that someone else will help. That we're missing something bigger than just helping that person. I wonder if even in that moment, what we're missing is God in disguise. Right? So we read the parable of the sheep and the goats. So what's the one thing or two things you remember from that reading? Giving and not giving. Giving and not giving. What else? Least of these. What about some of the harder stuff? I'm listening. I just have my back to you guys. Yeah, so there's like judgment, which is hard to hear. It's hard to, it's hard to listen to, isn't it? Because a lot of times when we read the parable of the sheep and the goats, we focus on two things. We focus on one, am I a sheep or am I a goat? And am I doing enough to be a sheep? Or we focus on, oh, wow, that's really, really harsh. That's really hard to see all these goats, right? It's really hard to hear these words coming from the mouth of Jesus. And a lot of times when we read this parable, those are the only two things that we focus on. And the problem is, is that when we only focus on those two things, we're really missing the point of what Jesus is trying to get across in this parable, And really, in order for us to read this parable, we have to understand a little bit of the context of how he's delivering this story. Uh, And so actually what happens is he's in the middle of this conversation with a group of people, and he tells three parables, one after the other. And I think really for us to step into the conversation of the sheep and the goats, we need to understand and we need to know the two parables that come before it. So the one 
that comes first is the parable of the ten bridesmaids. It's a lesser known parable, not one that we hear a lot of sermons on. The story of the ten bridesmaids. So in, in a nutshell, what this story is, is there's ten bridesmaids, right? And they're preparing to meet this bridegroom. They're preparing to meet this man who's the bridegroom. And so five, and so they all decide to go out. And five of them, they bring a lantern with them with just enough oil to get by. And the other five, they bring their lantern, but they bring extra oil with them. So they go out to meet and wait for this bridegroom, but they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and he's late. And then they fall asleep. They wake up and they say, the bridegroom's coming, the bridegroom's coming. But the five that didn't bring extra oil, their lamps run out and they have to go to town to buy more lamps. And then the bridegroom shows up, the five with extra oil, they meet the bridegroom, they enter into the city, they celebrate, they join the party. And then the five that had to go to town, they come back, gates are locked and they're like, hey, let us in. And the bridegroom says, I don't know who you are. And it ends, right? It ends like that. It's like, whoa, that's, that person's kind of a jerk, right? Like, no, you can't come in. You can't come in. But this story, it's trying to tell us something, right? It's taking us on this journey. So this is the, this is the beginning parable. So what is the story? What is the parable of the 10 bridesmaids? What is it trying to tell us? Right? It's trying to tell us a few things. Like, first of all, it's trying to tell us, uh, where is the bridegroom? Right? Where is the bridegroom? Because the bridegroom is late. Why is he late? It says in uh, Matthew 25, 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And this story, what it's telling us is this oil, right? The oil represents the faith, our faith. And so what it's telling us is that the only access that we have to the bridegroom, the only access that we have to Jesus is simply faith, the oil of faith. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's telling us about faith, simple faith. And then it says at the very end, oh, sorry, I missed one. It's also telling us about a lesson between foolishness and wisdom. Because really, the the ones who thought that they were wise, they're like, oh, this is only going to be a short trip. Why do you need to bring extra oil? That's kind of dumb. They end up being the foolish ones. And the foolish ones who carry this oil around all the time, that seems like foolishness. It seems like extra weight. But they are the ones who end up being wise. And it's the same thing in our life is faith can feel very much that way. It can feel a little foolish at times. It can feel like, well, why are you carrying that extra load on your life? Doesn't life have enough of its worries of its own? Why do you have to put this on top of that? It seems like foolishness. And the last thing that this story is trying to tell us is to keep watch. Keep watch because we don't know when the bridegroom is going to show up. Keep watch because we don't know when he's going to appear. So knowing that, ten bridesmaids, it takes us into our next parable, parable of the talents. This is probably a little bit wider known. This is one that we hear quite a, quite a bit if you've been around churches before. So in this story, what happens is there's this master and he gives, he has three servants. He gives one servant five bags of gold, one, two bags of gold, and the last servant, he gives one bag of gold. And then it says he's been away for a long time. He comes back. The one with five bags of gold says, hey, I doubled it. I doubled your profit. 
here's 10 bags of gold. He says, well done. The guy with two bags of gold says, I doubled it. I took what you gave me. I invested it. Here's four bags of gold. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with one bag of gold says, look, I was really nervous and I was really scared. So I buried it in the ground. And he says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. In fact, it says, I was so afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And then he even goes on to say, you could have at least put it in the bank to get a little bit of an interest, but instead you bury it in the ground. What is that telling us? What that's telling us is that faith without action, it's not faith, right? The parable of the talents is just simply trying to tell us that what does a life of faith look like? It looks like action. Because if you just take your faith and you bury it in the ground, if you take this faith and you do nothing with it, if you hide it, it's useless. It's not doing anything. So this whole story of the 10 bridesmaids, it's saying, it's simply just faith. And then what does faith look like? Faith, it looks a lot like action. Well, what am I supposed to do? Because that should be the question going into the parable of the sheep and the goats is, so what am I supposed to do then? If it's about faith and then faith looks like action, what, what is my action supposed to be? And then we find ourselves in the story of the sheep and the goats. And the story of the sheep and the goats, it tells us, um, first of all, we're all goats. Every single one of us, right? But the interesting thing about the parable between sheep and goats is uh, goats and sheep actually were together. So in the book of Genesis, you have this man, Jacob, and he's tending flocks. And he talks about separating the sheep and the goats because they would flock together. Uh, Even in Exodus, when God is giving Passover instructions of what you need to do to prepare your Passover feast is you could, instead of, if you don't have a sacrificial lamb, you could use a goat, right? And so when we read this story, it's not the parable of the sheep and the pigs, because pigs were an evil, unclean animal. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And so what we need to realize is that we find ourselves as goats because we resonate a little bit more with that side of the story. I know I do. And it's only by grace that we become sheep because even the sheep, they're like, wait, what? Like, when did we do that? I don't even know when that happened, but okay. And that's the beauty of this story is so often we read it and through the lens of, man, this is really hard to get in. This is a really hard kingdom to be a part of. This seems really judgmental, but Jesus is actually intending the opposite. He's saying this thing is easy to get into. It's as simple as faith. And what does a life of faith look like? What does a life that is connected to me look like? What are my followers going to look like? They're going to look like this. They're going to look like this. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. For whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. You did it for me. And in that moment, what we realize is, oh, the bridegroom, he wasn't late. Oh, the master, he wasn't gone. He was there the whole time. 
And he was there in every action that was done. He was there in every good deed that was done in his name. He was there all along. So I wonder in our lives, in those moments that we've had that we should have stepped into, did we miss God in disguise? I remember uh, two years ago, uh, me and Evan Bartles, who was singing up front this morning, uh, we were sitting on my front porch, and we were trying to plan this really awesome event. I can't even remember what the event was, but it was going to be amazing. And we're sitting there, and I had this huge, we had this huge agenda, all this stuff we had to get through. It was getting late at night. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, okay, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. And so we're, we're kind of, you know, we're going through some of our items, And then after five minutes, all of a sudden, this girl comes walking down the middle of the road, just off her head, right? She's just in the middle of the road, and then all of a sudden, she starts yelling at us. She's like, hey, hey. And initially, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to deal with this now, right? And I'm thinking in my head, okay, just ignore her, and she'll go away, right? Just ignore her, and she'll go away. And then Evan has to say, hey, what's up? I'm like, Evan, what are you doing? You're supposed to ignore her, and then she will go the other direction. And then so she comes walking over, and she sits down next to us. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we have all this stuff we need to do. We don't need to deal with this distraction right now. We don't just need to deal with some crazy drunk person. And as she's sitting there, Evan, he goes on to say, what's your name? I'm like, Evan, you're just making it worse, dude. Just stop. And then she begins to tell us a little bit about her story. And then all of a sudden we realize something is really off. Something's off because she begins to get really sleepy. And she kind of gets really loopy. And we realize there's, there's something more going on. And Evan recognized it right away. And he said, he said, what did you take tonight? And she said, nothing. He goes, no, 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 tell me, what did you take? And she said, a couple pills. And he said, how many pills did you take? She said, I I don't know. And he said, what color were the pills? She said, I don't know. And he said, how many pills did you take? She said, a handful. And so then Evan, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, what do we do now? Like, I don't don't know what to do. Like, how do we figure out? Like, is she going to overdose? Like, what's going to happen? Like, if we call the police, is she just going to get scared and run away? And like, I'm just getting really nervous because I have no idea what to do. And Evan is just calm as a cucumber. And I'm like, you pug. (laughs) Right? And he just says to her, he says, hey, I'm going to call someone. Are you okay with that? And they're going to come here and they're going to help you out. And she gets a little nervous and he says, don't worry, it'll be okay. It's best for you. So then he calls the police, and a couple minutes later, we hear sirens, and she gets really, really nervous. Um, and like, it's almost like she's going to run, and Evan just looks at her calmly and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So then they show up, and the paramedics come up, and they're speaking to her, and the whole time, she's just looking at Evan, like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And he's just like, yes, this is okay. This is okay. And then they took her away, and they drove off. And Evan was like, man, we need to pray for her. She's believed so many lies in her life. She's believed so many things about herself that are just not true. And with tears in his eyes, he prayed for this girl. And man, in that moment, I realized, man, I I missed it. I missed the moment. And I'm so thankful that Evan was there to step into it. Because I'm convinced that Evan, more likely than not, saved that girl's life that night. 
And in that moment, we saw something beautiful happen because he chose to step into that moment. And I wonder in our own lives, like, how many moments have we missed? How many moments have we missed? And I'm also convinced that if we want to live a good life, because I think a lot of us, we want that. We want a good life. How do we live a good life? We want to live a good life, and I'm convinced the only way for us to step into that reality is to live for the good of others. And I think the story of the sheep and the goats, it just screams that over and over and over again is, where is Jesus? Where is God at? Have you ever asked yourself that question? God, where are you? He tells us exactly where he's going to be. He's found when we serve the least, when we serve the poor, when we serve the lowest. That is where we find God in disguise. I was uh, reading this article a couple of months ago, and it was some statistics on the New York Times website about statistically um, how, how long people live, life expectancies. And so then there's this graph here. And so I think, first of all, it's like, women, like, what's going on? Like, what are your secrets? Women, you just like, it like follows that exact curve. But So the top line is how old people live. And this line here, from here up, is socioeconomic status, right? So this is basically zero, 50, 100, and then $300,000 on this side. And what you find is that statistically, that the rich live on average 15 years longer than the poorest 1%. 15 years longer. And so all of a sudden we realize the gravity of the situation. And we realize why Jesus has to use such harsh language in this time. Right? Because we're still seeing the effects here and now today. Because when nothing happens, when we do nothing, bad things happen to the world that we live in. And then I found this uh, next um, stat. This was, this is education. Okay, so what they did is they pulled every single public school district in the entire country. Uh, and it's an interactive map. You can actually find LPS on this map. But what this is, is they, take, they took and tested sixth graders to see where they were at. So you see about average is, this would be about sixth grade education level, seventh, eighth, ninth grade education level. And then this is a sixth graders operating at a fifth, fourth, or third grade level. Right? And then the bottom line socioeconomic status of the neighborhoods or the city. And so what we find is that poor cities have kids in their schools who are way behind. And the richer you are, the more ahead you are. And you begin to see why this cycle of poverty begins to happen. We begin to see why, uh, how does a kid get out of this cycle here? And how much is this kid over here set up for success in his life? And so we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be the church? The church should be a foretaste of what it looks like when God is in control. What it looks like if God was in control rather than the banks. What it looked like if God was in control rather than politicians. What does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like the story of the sheep and the goats. People who step into moments when they see there is something wrong. We do something about it. We have action because it's so connected to our faith. 
And so for the past year, as I talked a little bit about last week, um, we launched a church um, in the Clinton neighborhood on the north side of town. And through that journey, uh, it's been just a roller coaster ride. But what we've realized is actually what those neighborhoods need is they need a group of people that does something about these statistics. So then I began thinking about it like, okay, what are the statistics of those neighborhoods then? What do those neighborhoods look like? And so I found these online. So people who have not graduated from high school, Clinton 38%, Hartley 44%, Malone 29%, and Lincoln is 7%. And when we think about that graph of just what education does to our socioeconomic status and how it sets us up in life, it creates a cycle of poverty. And then we find that in the next slide, which is how many people live below the poverty line? 40% in Clinton, 29% Hartley, 45.2% Malone. 17% in all of Lincoln. And then we began to realize that a lot of the people that we were interacting with couldn't really speak English very well. We do a food distribution with the Bay uh, once a month, the second Saturday of every month, and a lot of people that we were being introduced to, it's hard to communicate with them. And so I began to wonder, what what does language look like in these neighborhoods? And so we found, speak little to no English, 11.6 in Clinton, 8.3 in Hartley, 17.5, 17.5 in Malone. Almost one in five people in the Malone neighborhood speak little to no English. What is good news? What does the good news of Jesus look like in those neighborhoods? What does the good news of Jesus look like in our city? It looks like a group of people that truly love and care about the cities that we live in because we realize how big the kingdom of God is. Because we realize the kingdom of God and the church and Christians, we are to be a foretaste of what it looks like when God is in control. And what's interesting, because when we think about helping people, a lot of times uh, the pushback that we hear a lot, the pushback that even goes on in my own heart is, well, what if, they, you, what if they're manipulating me? What if they don't need the money? What if they don't need this thing? What if I give them money and they use it for alcohol? What if we give someone food at this food distribution and they drive away in a Lexus? What if we give someone a bed and a couch and this and that and we walk into their house and they have a bigger TV than I do? Right? We begin to ask ourselves these questions. What if I'm being manipulated? Uh, And Jesus actually has quite a bit to say about this. Uh, And I will say this. So a big part of what I want to really talk about next week is how do we address that? Like, how do we help someone without hurting them? And how do we actually empower people rather than just creating dependency on us? And I think that's a really important conversation. And that, that's one we're going to really focus on next week. But for now, what, what is our heart saying? Like, what is Jesus kind of telling us to do when we see a need? He tells us exactly what we need to do. He says, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Luke chapter 6. And it says, Matthew 5, verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42 says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Luke chapter 12 says, sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure that is in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. So I wonder, all of those verses are trying to tell us where is our heart at? What's going on inside? Because if initially our first thought is always someone else is going to help, or if in our heart we say, you know what, are they really going to use it for good? What Jesus is really trying to tell us is, no, my people, they step into these moments. Even if someone is suing you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. Give to everyone who asks from you, even if they're manipulating you. Right? Because it's a heart issue for us that Jesus is trying to address because our hearts typically say, ah, I don't really want to help. Because we have a lot that we have to deal with personally, right? Because every single one of us, we have worries. We got to worry about our career. We got to worry about school. We got to worry about our kids. We got to worry about finances. We have so much to worry about. It's so easy for us to worry about ourselves. And Jesus is pulling us outside of just self-thinking and he's pulling us into self-serving. And so from my challenge for you this week is, who are you walking by? Who are you ignoring on a regular basis? Who are you walking by saying someone else is going to help that person? Who are you walking by saying, you know what, I, I think they're okay. And so I want to say this week, let's do one act. Let's do one act. Let's let our prayer be today, God reveal one opportunity that I can step into and not ignore this week. Let's let our prayer this week be, God, open up my ears so that I can hear your voice, so that when I walk by someone or when I see my neighbor or when I see my coworker, I can step into a very tangible, practical need right away. What's one thing, simply one thing you can do this week? I'm convinced that one thing if we all begin to step into that, it can change things. It can save lives. And in those moments, what we'll see is that God is in every act of generosity. God is in every act of service. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling with, does God exist? Where is God? God, I can't find you. Maybe you've been looking in all the wrong places. And maybe God is waiting in your next door neighbor. Maybe you'll find God when you actually strike up a conversation with the person who's begging money from you. What's your one action that you're going to step into this week? I love what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. It says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Because what we find when we serve the least and the lowest and the poor is we realize we're equal ground here. There's no least, there's no lowest, because then he goes on to say in Luke 9, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. What does it profit, my brother, and if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? There's also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's found in James chapter 2. Faith without works 
is dead. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, it says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, go and do likewise. May we go out this week and serve the least and the lowest. May we realize in serving them that we are on equal ground. We are the least. We are the goats. And may we, in serving them, see God in disguise. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this constant pursuit of us that you make your kingdom tangible in every good deed. And Jesus, we, we praise you that your kingdom is not hard to enter into, but it requires simple faith. And what does simple faith look like? It looks like action. So Jesus, right here and right now, I pray that you just open our ears, that you open our soul, that you begin to give us glimpses into that one action that we need to do this week that you begin to set our heart to say simply yes. I'm going to do that one act this week that we will put up our radar and we will say, God, where are you moving? God, where are you? Who is in need of your presence? Because we know you are found in everything that is good. this week see our neighbors see our friends see the people we don't like see our enemies as you God in the flesh it's in your name Jesus we pray amen may we all realize that we're all goats and it's only through the cross it's only through grace that we are invited to become sheep this week see our neighbors and see every person we encounter as Jesus in the flesh and see how that changes our heart towards them. Thank you for being here this morning, Mosaic. Love to meet you. Love to chat with you. Um, Have a great Sunday.